0: This conference will now be recorded. There we go. According to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our growth comes through the scriptures. Join me one more time. and One more time. Join me once again this time in uh, Proverbs chapter 19. Picking up where we left off a week ago. We uh, spent some time in 1919 last week, which was really an expansion of what we had looked at the week before. So I think we uh, almost covered all of that material last week. There were two closing examples, and I don't mind starting with those this morning. And then uh, we can move past that and uh, start looking at verses 20 and 21. Before we do, though, let's take a moment for silent prayer. Remember, God is spirit. He must be worshipped in spirit and in truth. We uh, can't be here in carnality. We can't be here uh, apart from the filling of the Holy Spirit. It's the only way that we can understand Bible doctrine. So let's take a moment for silent prayer and ask for our Father's uh, hand of blessing upon our time. Shall we pray? Father, we come before you this morning thankful for your truth thankful for the blessings we have to assemble together and thankful for the protection you bless us with, Father, as uh, the, the virus is sweeping across our nation and people are getting sick and dying. Father, thank you for um, the protection you've offered to the members of Austin Bible Church. We do pray, though, that as soon as possible that you would return us to our freedom, that you would return us to uh, the uh, capacity to meet in our church building and and to have uh, the normal way of life returned. So that's in your hands to give our president wisdom, give our governor wisdom, and, uh, and everyone involved. We thank you now for this time of study, that you would open our eyes and bless us from the book of Proverbs. We thank you, Father, in Jesus Christ's name, amen. All right, well, we'll put our Bible back up here where we can see what we're reading. Not Daniel chapter 7, however. That's where I was last night with the deacons. We were talking uh, about the revived Roman Empire and the coming tribulation. Always a fun study. As we get back to Proverbs 19, we see what we've been dealing with here lately. One who is gracious to a poor man lends to the Lord and he will repay him for his good deed. Then in verse 18, discipline your son while there is hope and do not desire his death. As long as he's still alive, there is hope and you want to pray for him, you want to discipline him, and uh, we studied the issues there. We then talked about the man of great anger, and the anger, which is actually a better translation, would be wrath. But really, the context takes it far beyond wrath or anger, with any time a person is under divine discipline, any time a person is under the penalty, which is like a tribute, which is like a fine that has been applied to someone that has caused tremendous social uh danger or social upheaval and uh, if you're under divine discipline if a friend of yours is under divine discipline you want to be praying for them you never stop loving them you don't regard them as an enemy but you admonish them as a brother but the one thing you don't want to do is leave yourself um, open to joining that divine discipline by becoming a partaker in the uh in the uh, the issue that got that person in trouble in The first place and so i've got our slideshow caught up to what we're dealing with we've done a lot already here in uh, in chapter 19. zoom in where i can see the the slide that we're looking at yeah if you try to rescue somebody when they are rightly fined when they are under the discipline the the divine discipline the social discipline the community discipline uh, the idea of the rightly fined wrongdoer uh, and trying to rescue somebody from that is useless and vain. You will do it over and over again, not only for him, but then uh, other people will observe that, hey, you're the pushover. You're the one that we can get to pay our fines for us. And uh, you just end up doing over and over again. And that's not what we want to be doing. More than that, it's also an endeavor to mitigate divine the divine purpose for instructive correction. Remember when God puts us under divine discipline, he does so to teach us. We're supposed to learn those lessons. We're supposed to grow through that discipline so that our thinking is changed, our actions are changed so that we don't make those same mistakes again. And, uh, and if we don't ever learn that mistake or learn from that mistake, then we're going to put ourselves under discipline again and again and again until we do learn the lesson. Sadly, when, uh, when friends come along or family members, parents, when they keep bailing us out, when they keep paying our fine, well, then we're not learning our lesson. We're actually learning the wrong kind of lesson. We're learning that we can continue being sinners and continue doing what we're doing and uh, other people will bail us out. And so the sin nature actually likes that. The, the, the old sin nature loves to be bailed out because uh, that means they can keep, you know, keep doing sin and, and have the uh, have the trump come along and, and and bail us out of what we're doing. Anyway, we don't want to be hostile to the will of God and uh, an adversary to the will of God. And Gamaliel understood that lesson. And uh, remember that when you're making provision for carnality, you are participating in carnality, even if it's not your own carnality. You can make provision for somebody else's carnality and you can be a partaker of that. And uh, scripture tells us don't do that, because when you're a partaker of the carnality, you yourself, uh, we become Objects of God's judgment and God's discipline. And so uh, these were the verses we looked at last week. And I, I tell you, they are significant. Um, you will you will line yourself up for discipline faster than anything when you join the, uh, the side that's doing that. So Romans one thirty two, Ephesians five, all those verses in Ephesians five that speak to that. You don't even want the reputation. You don't want it to be named among you. So uh, that's the that's the issue there. The two examples, and we ran out of time before we could read through these, but the two examples uh include where where it's family members that cause the subjectivity that cause the uh believers who should know better to uh to make poor choices. And Eli is the first of those examples, David is the second of those examples, and um and I think it's 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 better that we keep a biblical we can use the biblical illustrations to show the principle that uh, that drives the point home and that makes it very clear i think beyond the biblical examples probably every single person in the church has personal examples family examples we have circumstances and testings in our own lives whereby we have uh, loved ones that are not walking in the will of god and we end up facing consequences the cursing by association and the other consequences and then on the occasions where we've violated scripture we have violated our own conscience we've uh we've actually become partakers in their darkness uh and in some cases we've done so without realizing we've done so but we've done so by uh, making provision for their sin and making provision to mitigate their discipline and so there's there's plenty of examples where we can illustrate with that as well let me just uh run through i don't want to take the whole hour doing this uh but we can take uh I don't mind taking a few minutes to uh to look at these we can leave the point up there like that hopefully and uh and see also by the way I I have noticed too um the other day when I was a participant in a goaden meeting rather than the uh teacher or the presenter in a goaden meeting I learned that you can move the cameras and, and so a lot of us uh, have, uh, for example, my camera where you see me talking up at the top of the screen and then the, the rest of the screen below me is, uh, is, uh, given over to, uh, what I'm displaying and, and, and so forth. You can actually move that to the left, to the right, to the bottom. If you don't want my camera on the top, you just select there, uh, you know, the view and, uh, you have the opportunity to move, to move that view. So, you might uh, you might play with your settings there and and move the cameras to the left or to the right or to the bottom wherever you want them uh so you can maximize your uh your screen area for the uh for the bible verses and for the points of study okay and I'll see if maybe I can get uh Dylan to uh to make a video of that to show the different configuration options on that Anyway, let's go to, uh, 1 Samuel chapter 2, and you see what I'm talking about here with Eli and his sons. It's kind of a, a chapter we look to. Now, he's not a pastor. He's a Levitical priest, and so his sons aren't pastors' kids, but you know, it seems sometimes the PKs, uh, get a lot of attention. And, uh, so it's interesting. I've prayed over these chapters for, uh, for years now. I think ever since, uh, I've become a parent. <laughs> and you think, okay. Because uh, Eli's children were 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 train wrecks, and uh, and Samuel's children were trail were train wrecks. Anyway, um, 1 Samuel 2 and verse 12, the sons of Eli were Belials. They were worthless men that did not know the Lord. And you know, you didn't have to be a believer to become a high priest. You just had to be the son of the last high priest. And you know, when he dies, you're going to get promoted and And that's the thing. I think people lose track of the fact that Israel's stewardship did not require salvation in order to be a vested steward, that they were an earthly people in the midst of other earthly peoples. And uh, and being saved was not a, uh, a requirement to be a steward. Anyway, it goes on to say the custom of the priest with the people. When any man was offering a sacrifice, the priest servant would come. While the meat was boiling, with a three-pronged fork in his hand, and he would thrust it into the pan, the kettle, the cauldron, or the pot, and all that the fork brought up, the priest would take for himself. And so, yeah, I mean, you can imagine—you're uh, trying to uh, conduct your services, you're trying to have the sacrifices, you're trying to conduct it with—and and they were just barging in there, and, and you know, like some of the barges into the kitchen and wants to snack off the stove while you're trying to get dinner together. Well, these are the the sons of Eli that are intruding into the levitical uh procedures here and it's just terrible and then it gets worse from there also uh, before uh they burned the fat the priest servant would come and say to the man who was sacrificing give the priest meat for roasting and he will not take boiled meat from you only raw anyway we can get down through some of these things but it says in verse 17 the sin of the young men was very great before the lord for the men despised the offering of the lord now clearly it's an out of control, uh, child and out, out of control grown up by this point. And had they, had Eli dealt with it prior to this, it would have never gotten to this point of, of, of trouble. And that's, uh, that's the principle there. You gotta be, you gotta be training the children at the young age or it's out of control by the time they reach this point of time. Um, you get down to verse 22. Now, Eli was very old and he heard all that his sons were doing to all Israel and how they lay with the women who served at the doorway of the tent of meeting. So, you know, their religious uh, capacity as a priest gives them uh, introduction to these people and and they're just abusing their position and they're 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 victimizing uh, these women. It's terrible. So he doesn't stop it, though. He says to them, why do you do such things, the evil things that I hear from all these people? So he's getting the reports over and over and over again. He says, know, my sons, for the report is not good, which I hear the Lord's people circulating. <laughs> well, you've heard the report. You've heard the report multiple times. There's there's plenty of witnesses. Uh, and with two or three witnesses, you can have uh, these people put to death. Well, understand, he's, he's compromised, though. He's got a subjectivity uh because they're his boys, they're his sons, and he knows right and wrong, and he knows what the the issues of sin and evil, but he's uh he's not going to stop it and this is what happens when you start making exceptions and you start compromising what happens now Eli is actually partaking in their sin because he's providing for it, he's not stopping it he's a partaker that we're told not to do so um that takes us down through verse uh, 25. If one man sins against another, God will mediate for him. But if a man sins against the Lord, who can intercede for him? But they would not listen to the voice of their father for the Lord desired to put them to death. They're uh, approaching the sin unto death. And this is the will of God is the sin and the death. So are we going to try to mitigate that? I mean, you cover for them all these steps along the way. What are you going to do now? Down to verse 29. And this is where the Lord now is going to be rebuking Eli. Anyway, so it's, uh, it's not good. Verse 29, why do you kick at my sacrifice and at my offering, which I have commanded in my dwelling and honor your sons above me? This is the rebuke. Now the Lord is rebuking Eli. He says, you honor your sons above me. And that's, uh, that's the real issue of judgment here. All right. Get down to verse 34. And uh, this will be the sign to you which will come concerning your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, on the same day. Both of them will die. And he, uh, he makes good on that promise. But I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who will do according to what is in my heart and in my soul. And I will build him an enduring house and he will walk before my anointed always. So that's uh, 1 Samuel chapter 2. Uh, We have another reference in chapter 3 in verse 13. And this is uh, the Lord now giving uh, information to Samuel. He says, Behold, I'm about to do a thing in Israel, at which both ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. (laughs) You know, the ears start tingling when they hear this report. And in that day I will carry out against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. For I have told him that I'm about to judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knew because his sons brought a curse on themselves and he did not rebuke them. So understand this. The divine discipline is spreading beyond Hophni and Phinehas and it's spreading beyond Eli. It's actually now the judgment and discipline is coming upon the entire house. This is why we have to keep short accounts or we have to stop it at the the first chance that we have so that it doesn't the discipline doesn't spread to the whole house. So here's Samuel getting the briefing in chapter three. Then uh, down to chapter four and verse 11. The Philistines are invading and the Philistines have the victory. Uh, Verse 10, the Philistines fought and Israel was defeated. Every man fled to his tent. The slaughter was very great for there fell of Israel 30,000 foot soldiers. And the ark of God was taken. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, died. See, on the same day, like God had promised. And, uh, The ark of god is taken and so uh a runner will come and bring the report eli is sitting there eagerly watching and uh he hears the uh, report wants to know what it means eli was 98 years old can you imagine and uh the report comes to him here how do things go my son then the one who brought the news replied, "Israel has fled before the Philistines. There also has been a great slaughter among the people. Your two sons also, Hophni and Phineas, are dead, and the ark of God has been taken." And so uh, Eli has to receive the uh, the report before he himself is going to die. The sinner to death, but the uh, he has to receive the report first because he is the witness. He's the witness to the prophecy God had promised him that his two sons would die on the same day. And this is what he hears here. So when he mentioned the Ark of God, Eli fell off the seat backward beside the gate. His neck was broken and he died for he was old and heavy. Anyway, makes me wonder how he got up on the the donkey in the first place. Ninety-eight years old, old and heavy. Somebody helped him get up there. All right. So that's the example there. And that's Eli and his subjectivity. The other example that we have is with uh, David. And uh another sad story, 2 Samuel 13, 39. The heart of King David longed to go out to Absalom, for he was comforted concerning Amnon since he was dead. And you know, the tragic things that happened in David's family, it's the divine disciplines, the ongoing consequences of his adultery with Bathsheba, and it uh, it carries forth to the next generation. And David was very subjective, and uh, and he loved Absalom and and uh even uh, though Absalom was worthy of death that uh, his sins uh, should have um you know should have uh, uh caused his death well how how does David apply that penalty you know David is so compromised himself David was worthy of death David should have been executed for his adultery should have been executed for his murder you know uh, under law David was worthy of death so how does he come along as a king and uh and uh have any leg to stand on when it comes to disciplining his children for sexual sins or uh, for murder or for these kind of things he uh he's, he's he's hardly one to talk since he himself has has done all those things in his own uh in his own generation anyway, you see his heart and you see his heart longing for absalom also second Samuel eighteen thirty three the king was deeply moved, went up to the chamber over the gate and wept. And thus he said as he walked, oh, my son, Absalom, my son, Absalom, my son, would would that I had died instead of you, oh, Absalom, my son, my son. And uh, such a moving testimony of the subjectivity. This is what it is. A believer who should know better. A believer who is, is emotionally compromised, who is emotionally vulnerable because of the biological connection in within families, okay? And and I'm not saying it's, you know that what am I saying? I got to be careful here. The family connections, they are what they are. You're going to love your family, you're going to love your children, you're going to love your spouse, you're going to love those are, those are normal connections. But you can't allow the normal family love to cause uh, a loss of spiritual um, spiritual priorities as grounded in the word of god i guess that's the best way i can say that all right it gets so bad even that when we cross into chapter 19 even joab is able to uh, provide a rebuke and joab is not a spiritually minded man uh if he's even regenerate i don't i've never seen any indication of, of joab's regeneration but uh he is he is unbeliever at worst and a uh, carnal believer at best and he d- never has any kind of divine viewpoint but here he, just from a political standpoint he's like a, a a politically minded um uh animal here is Joab and uh, and he he's going to chew David out uh for uh for his improper attitude here and the king is still just kind of out of control and uh, verse four, the king covered his face and cried out with a loud voice. Oh, my son, Absalom. Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. Okay, All right, David, I get it already. You know, uh, get it together. So Joab came to the house of the king and said, Today you have covered with shame the faces of all your servants who today have saved your life and the lives of your sons and daughters, the lives of your wives and the lives of your concubines, by loving those who hate you and hating those who love you. For you have shown today that the princes and servants are nothing to you. For I know that this day, if Absalom were alive and all of us were dead today, then you would be pleased. And he's probably right about that. Now, therefore, arise, go out and speak kindly to your servants. For I swear by the Lord, if you do not go out, surely not a man will pass the night with you. And this will be worse for you than all the evil that will come upon you from your youth until now. And, uh, I think he's, uh, he's got some secular, accurate information there with respect to the politics, with respect to the condition of the kingdom and what it was going to take to put David back on the throne. And, uh, you know, Absalom stole the throne. He usurped the throne. He did horrible, unspeakable things, uh, in the sight of all Israel to, uh, to, uh, David's, uh, harem, his concubines, and so forth. Anyway. So, Two very ugly chapters in Israel's Old Testament history, and they both, uh, I think, illustrate the point very well in that uh, if we compromise our divine viewpoint because of because of family emotions, because of anything really. But family emotions really uh, seem to drive it. And um, and so we have family members that are living non-biblical lifestyles, family members that are enslaved to uh, to. Um, to particular addictions and uh, and all the rest we've just we've got to stay the course and remain strong in the word of god because to compromise the word of god to show that that earthly love is a higher priority than obedience to the lord that's what uh you know loving those who hate you and hating those who love you that uh, that applies to to god himself do i do i when jesus told peter do you love me more than these you know Um, we have to, we have to ask ourselves, do I love the Lord? Do I love His Word? Am I going to stay faithful as a disciple to the Word of God? Or am I going to become a partaker in darkness? Am I going to become a partaker in those unfruitful deeds of darkness? And that's the, uh, that's the issue there. All right. Well, that's kind of what we, uh, it was more than a few minutes. That's about 15 minutes, 20 minutes on what we were wrapping up last week. Let's move on to verse 20. And let's talk about verses twenty and twenty one and and really, we get a bit of a recap here. Um, these verses would fit nicely in uh, in the first nine chapters. It's almost like uh, we have uh, a couple of verses of parental wisdom that would fit nicely. Uh, wisdom lessons that would fit naturally in the parental wisdom portion of the book are worthwhile reminders throughout adult life, and they're rightly placed sporadically throughout the remainder. Of Proverbs. And so you'll see what I mean by this when we look at Proverbs 19, verses 20 and 21. Let's go ahead and read them. Proverbs 19, verses 20 and 21. A couple of verses here, and I think poetically they're linked together nicely. Listen to counsel and accept discipline that you may be wise the rest of your days, or wise in the afterward. We're going to talk about that idiom. It's it's a it's a bit of a puzzle. But listen to counsel and accept discipline that you may be wise the rest of your days. We we would be used to seeing uh, reading those words or or, uh, dealing with these principles in the first nine chapters. It almost seems like those were the words that uh, that Solomon was giving to his son or words that David was giving to Solomon. Uh, They are commands. Listen, Uh, almost like a parent is speaking to a child. Uh, these, uh, these are the kind of verses that we would be very, uh, comfortable in the first nine chapters. They're not as common in, uh, chapters 20, uh, or chapters 10 through 31, but they do sporadically, uh, appear every now and then. And, uh, and they're worthwhile reminders. Just because we're not children in our parents' homes anymore doesn't mean, you know, that we, uh, don't, aren't edified by warnings such as this. And uh every now and then it's good to to have, be reminded of these principles verse twenty one many plans are in a man's heart, but the counsel of the Lord will stand. Now, again, you, you train your child in that, uh, but it's good to remind yourself in that from time to time throughout adult life. so not uh not a bad thing to have a childlike instruction that uh that uh, we might be you know taking a Sunday school lesson. And uh, after uh, after Sunday, asking your child, what did you learn today? And then uh, realizing that it's, it's the word of God and uh, and I can learn from it, too. And I should be reminded of any principle that uh, that a child can learn from uh, should be a principle that I can learn from. And uh, and we see it here. All right. So listen to counsel and accept discipline. It's not just uh, that's the Musar child training, but the Musar discipline that we're all under. Every believer is under the discipline of God the Father. Every believer is under the discipline of the Lord, and we should never stop. We should never stop listening. We should never stop accepting the discipline that God puts in our lives. No human being ever outgrows this need for counsel and discipline. The, 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 no human being. If you think you have, you're in uh, you're in danger. You're on ver- you're on the verge of. Uh, Of a tremendous crash. Because remember, uh, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. No human being ever outgrows this need for counsel and discipline. We see it here in verse 20. And it uh, it, we get it repeated in verse 27. The consequences reach the end of this life and beyond. The consequences are, in fact, eternal. If you glance down to verse 27, you're going to see the uh, restatement of it. Uh, cease listening, my son, to discipline, and you will stray from the words of knowledge. The day that you stop listening, the day that you say, Well, I've got enough doctrine, or Well, I've been to church long enough, you know, and, and, and uh, sometimes it happens. And sometimes church age believers who should know better, they just decide, You know, they've had enough. And, uh, they, they've, they've had enough. They've learned enough. They know enough. They, uh, they, they don't need to be in church anymore. They don't need to be under doctrine anymore. Um, and they, they just kind of decide that they're, 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 good people. They're a good believer. God's happy with them. And, uh, based on what they know now, they can, they can just kind of coast from now till the trumpet, <laughs> you know, uh, they've, they've got enough doctrine. They, their, their life is on track and, uh, and uh, they're, they're content. And so because they're content, they just assume that God's content. <laughs> that Um, and this is, uh, it's just, it's a lie that we tell ourselves. And Satan, Satan's whispering, you, you know enough, you have enough, and, uh, failing to realize that it's, it's the arrogance. Knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. And, uh, that you think, well, I've got enough doctrine. I, I'm a good person. And, uh, and I'll just, uh, I'll keep living a moral life. And God will be happy with me. And, uh, and, and, uh, and, and really, what is there left to learn? Don't I know everything already? You know? And then, see, it doesn't all happen overnight, but eventually, after time, you just kind of, you start convincing yourself that, well, yeah, I know that, well, yeah, I know that, well, yeah, I know that. And over time, sadly, this this pathetic attitude, just even when they're in class, even when they're under teaching, they're not humble before the teaching, and they're not eager to learn anything new because they've convinced themselves they'll never learn anything new. And, uh, yeah, I know that. Yeah, I know that. And so after uh, after a few weeks of sitting there thinking, well, I'm not learning anything, I'm not learning anything, then uh, you pretty much talk yourself into the fact that well, I, I guess I, I don't need anything, I know it all, and, and off you go. So this is uh, this is a good proverb to uh, remind yourself that we should never reach that point, we should never be so bored with doctrine where it's ho hum, and uh, and uh, we're not learning anything. If we're not learning anything, there's a problem. Because Scripture says, he that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. God the Father is still communicating, and we have not reached omniscience. <laughs> we we should still be learning something. And uh, there you have it. Anyway, if you cease listening, that's uh, it's not an order. It's just a statement. If you do cease listening, then here's the consequences. You're straying from the words of knowledge. As soon as you close your ear, you're off the track, and, and that's trouble. So. Listen to counsel and accept discipline that you may be wise in the afterlife, the rest of your life and forever. There's a, it's a curious idiom there in the after, in the happily ever after. We'll, uh, we'll talk about that because it's consequences for the rest of your life, consequences to the end of your life, consequences even beyond. Because if you think about it, the, uh, the believers with the maximum wisdom in this life are going to be the believers with the maximum rewards and responsibilities in the next life, and so uh, the uh, those that have duties with the Lord uh, in the, in the it's not all equal when we get to glory, and it's not all equal in the millennium, and it's not all equal in the fullness of time to be reigning with the Lord. The believers with the maximum wisdom will be the believers with the maximum responsibilities and blessings and wealth and glory in uh, in the next life we're going to talk about that here shortly so no human being ever outgrows this need for counsel and discipline we had a uh, a similar statement a concept way back in chapter 12 you might recall the way of a fool is right in his own eyes but a wise man is he who listens to counsel And uh, just because you're grown up, just because you've left home, just because you're in your own generation, uh, that doesn't mean you you can stop listening to counsel and uh, you should still listen to counsel. And and, uh, you're not under the parental discipline, but you can still be blessed by parental counsel and uh, you can be blessed by uh, other counsel, other uh, elders in your community. Of course, in your church community, you've got uh, your pastor and your elders there. The wise man is he who listens to counsel. We never outgrow that. And uh, just because you're pastor doesn't mean you can't listen to counsel. That's why God gives you fellow elders. That's why you have fellow pastors. That's why you go to, I enjoy going to pastor conferences just so I can, uh, iron sharpens iron and you have the opportunity to uh, to learn things from your fellow pastors. So it's a wise man who listens to counsel. You never outgrow that. Chapter 15 verses thirty two and thirty three If you neglect discipline, you hate your soul. you're despising your soul, but he who listens to reproof acquires understanding. We never outgrow that. The fear of the Lord is the instruction for wisdom, and before honor comes humility. And really, I think that's the the uh, the issue. When you lose your fear of the Lord is because of pride. and uh, when you abandon fear of the Lord and in your in your arrogance, uh you stop listening to the reproof you neglect the discipline you uh you stop acquiring understanding because you think you know it all and uh and you're just setting up your own fall that's that's the warning that happens there we will um have some additional warnings that are given in chapter 20 Prepare plans by consultation and make war by wise guidance. And this uh, yeah, it's a secular verse. You know, it's usually thought of in in, uh, in a secular capacity, but I think we can apply it in secular life and spiritual life and church life and business life and marital life or in family life or, or what have you. Uh, if you're going to put a plan together, you know, are you going to uh, just do it all in, in your own personal wisdom or are you going to get other people to contribute some uh some some wisdom contribute some ideas and uh if you're the if you're moving forward based upon uh, what you think and what only you think well <laughs> it may not work out too well for you uh, scripture says prepare plans by consultation and make war especially something as as, as uh as serious as war i mean an endeavor there uh a king isn't just going to uh, put his armies in the field and go make war on his own say so with his own planning he's got to have a, a staff he's got to have generals he's got to have um, uh, the whole industry the whole industry of war gets involved with uh, because you've got logistics you've got supply you've got um, supply chains you have to keep on track and and it, you actually uh, maybe shouldn't be going to war at all anyway if if the enemy is too strong for you, you want to be suing for peace and trying to to, uh, to find an arrangement there. Anyway, Scripture talks about these things in a variety of different places. We never uh, outgrow the need for counsel. And even, you know, uh, if you think about the smartest guy that ever lived, uh, Solomon had the, the greatest wisdom uh, ever, and yet that wisdom was corrupt. That wisdom got uh, perverted. He ended up making terrible choices. And and you imagine he probably had a tough time listening to anybody. I mean, if you're the wisest man in the world, why should you listen to anybody else? You know, what kind of counselors do you have? What kind of advisors do you have? They're all dumber than you. They're all, <laughs> they're all don't have your kind of wisdom. But here's the thing. Once you go off the rails and you corrupt your wisdom, Satan was that way too. He was full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. But it says you corrupted your wisdom by reason of your splendor. And at that point, Satan became the fallen creature that he is now. So uh these are the... These are the things pride convinces you that you don't need to listen to anybody because you're smarter than they are anyway. And why should you listen to them? And, uh, and we just see that play out over and over and over again. Now, when we get to Jesus though, what a, what a neat contrast because here's Jesus and he's 12 years old. He's in the temple. He's dazzling everybody with his understanding and, uh, and he's giving answers that uh, that's just amazing everybody. But then when his mother and father, they didn't know he was sticking around and they uh they were disappointed and they were frightened and, and uh and they, they uh they didn't know and, and he didn't know that they didn't know I and mean, he that he had to be about his father's business. We've taught this, and it's curious to me that uh that he submitted to them, that he submitted to them, and he returned to their house, and he stayed under their discipline, he stayed under their counsel, under their wisdom, under their discipline. And, uh, you know, you would think if anyone would outgrow the need for counsel and discipline, it would be it would be Jesus. But he uh, he continues uh, under Joseph and Mary's counsel and discipline. And uh, and even in his adult life, I think it's curious. The uh, did did Jesus in his earthly ministry? Did he you know, I think it's curious how he the the kind of fellowship he would have with John the Baptist and the kind of fellowship he would have with his disciples. and. Anyway, I think there's more that we can we can explore with respect to that. I don't want to get off track here, though. Let's uh, stay with the slide. No human being ever outgrows this need for counsel and discipline. Uh, chapter 27, Proverbs 27 and verse nine. Oil and perfume make the heart glad. So a man's counsel is sweet to his friend. There's a benefit. There's a blessing. There's a joy. And um, if you think you don't need it, you're actually cutting yourself off from some of the the gladness and and sweetness that God would otherwise have for you. You know, and I know pastors, I know pastors that don't come to pastor conferences and it's and then they've got different reasons why. And, uh, you know, I just think, well, you know, you're thinking you're you're cutting yourself off from some of the, the benefits of the, of, like I say, iron sharpens iron, and some of the fellowship benefits, and some of the what this verse talks about—a heart that's glad, and and uh, the the sweetness that a man's counsel can provide, and uh, and I don't know, I'm not going to assign nefarious motives, but um, I can easily, I do know for a fact, and and this is not slander. This is, uh, you know, Colonel Thiem would always host his conferences in Houston. And then he stopped hosting them. And so, uh, Meisinger and, and, and Carnegie and, and, uh, other men, um, up in Kansas city, um, they would, they would host different conferences. And in some cases, uh, they would even invite the colonel to come and and participate, you know, he never would. He only participated in his own conferences. He would never go to somebody else's conference. And I don't know, you know, he's with the Lord now and, and, uh, just i wonder about that from time to time why is that he would never go to anybody else's conference uh chet mccauley is the name i was trying to think of george meisinger and and glenn Carnegie and chet mccauley they would take turns they would rotate between their different churches and they would host these conferences and uh, and the colonel never came to any of them and um, you know made statements to uh to the effect there so hey i don't want to I'm not going to slander the man; he's with the Lord now. But if you if you get this idea that you don't need it, or that it won't benefit you, or you know, what can they teach me? Kind of a thing. Uh, you'd be surprised; they can teach you an awful lot because because uh, none of us have reached the point of of omniscience where we know it all anyway. So uh, go get go get a glad heart and get sweetness, the sweet counsel, because this is what God is providing. We no, we never outgrow the need for that. Also, the consequences. The consequences. Are, will reach the end of your life and even beyond. They are, in fact, eternal. And uh, the, the, the benefit is not only in this life, but also the life to come. And I'll, maybe I'll go backwards for this. First Timothy 4.8 is the principle that we kind of see in some of these earlier Proverbs. Bodily discipline is only of little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things, since it holds promise for the present life. Also, for the and and it's the word life is supplied also for the life to come the the resurrection to come, the glories to come, just simply the things to come godliness is profitable in this life and in the coming life that which is coming okay and uh, we have different idioms for uh, glory, different idioms we talk about um you know the afterlife. We talk about the the hereafter, and uh, this is what the the scripture idioms speak to, the life to come, and uh, the prophet. That's not only in this life, but also the life to come. And this is the the idiom that we have now. In uh, if I come back to Proverbs, there we go. That you may be wise either the rest of your days, or there's a footnote in your latter end. That you may be wise in the, in the after. In the after. In your after. So you have achere for after. In the after of you. In the after of you. In the Greek Septuagint, it has in your eschatology. Eschatone. That you may be wise. That you may become wise in or upon Upon your eschatology, <laughs> all right, your personal eschatology, your personal eschaton, as you have it there, eschaton genitive plural, so um that you may be wise in your end, at your end, beyond your end, in your after these things, in your after these things, and that sparks a lot of discussion among the uh, the rabbis and the commentators. Um, what are the after your things? You know, is it after you obtain your wisdom or is it for the rest of your life? Is it to the end of your days? Uh, the, the idiom is used in that way. Proverbs uses that idiom in that way um, to kind of show you the lifelong consequences of sin or the lifelong consequences of wisdom. In this case, of course, it's wisdom, the lifelong consequences of listening to counsel and accepting discipline. But when you go back to Proverbs five, you're going to see uh, consequences of sin, consequences of uh, prolonged carnality, and this is the case of the the strange woman. Remember the uh, my son, give attention to my wisdom. When parents are warning their boys about uh, those kind of women, right? Watch out for the strange woman, and we warn our daughters about those kind of men. And to be on the lookout for uh for the wrong kind of boys that uh that aren't uh don't have the priorities of the Word of God the way we're supposed to have, so my son, give attention to my wisdom, incline your ear to my understanding that you may observe discretion that your lips may reserve knowledge for the lips of an adulteress drip honey, and smoother than oil is her speech, and of all the things uh you're concerned about with her lips <laughs> you know worse than. The kissing, <laughs> or or other things that that her lips might do, her lips can be talking, and her mouth can be saying horrible things and the the unbiblical things, spreading the uh, the uh, human viewpoint that's hostile to the word of God, casting doubt. Did God say, you know? Did God say, and uh, speaking things that are contrary to the word of God. And so we train our children with divine norms and standards. And then, uh, this, uh, adulteress comes along and starts communicating things. Oh no, that's, that's old fashioned. That's wrong. There's, there's nothing wrong with it. And, uh, it's fun. You can get involved in these things outside of marriage and it's a great, it's a great time. Anyway, so you're listening to these, these, uh, terrible lies. Smoother than oil is her speech. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood. Now in the end, what is this about in the end, this is the same in her ahre in her after these things after uh is this the end of her life? Is this to the end of her days? Is this the sin and the death that she failed to repent and now she has a a miserable end and or is it even beyond her physical life in the end, sharp as a two-edged sword, her feet go down to death. Her steps take hold of Sheol. And so not only is it for the end of her life, not only is it, you know, a lifelong consequence. What happens when you build these, these patterns of sin and you're just enslaved to them to the end of your days? Well, the end of your days doesn't stop your enslavement. Because uh, what happens when you leave this earth and you reach Sheol? You still have the bitterness of. All right. So her steps take hold of shale. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways are unstable and she does not know it. So we have the consequences here. And and to me, when we're warning our children about the consequences of, of fornication, the consequences, it's far more than just uh, uh, venereal disease. It's far more than just uh, physical consequences, you know, of uh, of of of. Uh, viruses and whatever else it's uh it's a thought process that poisons your soul that lasts with you for the rest of your life you carry that damage with you uh, from your youth into your adult life into your marriage into uh even affecting the next generation it's it's terrible and it doesn't stop with death so uh, my sons listen to me do not depart from the words of my mouth keep your way far from her do not go near the door of her house, or you will give your vigor to others and your years to the cruel one. Strangers will be filled with your strength. Your hard-earned goods will go to the house of an alien. And you groan at your, here we have again, your, your after things, your final end, right? Your after things, your final end. And I think it's is it the same idiom that we have in your uh, after things. Okay, no, it's not the let's see. When your flesh and your body are consumed. Oh yeah it is. There it is. It is your achre, your after these things. When your flesh and your body are consumed, same thing in the Septuagint, it's your eschatone. You're after these things. When your flesh and your body are consumed, and you say, How I have hated instruction. And my heart spurned reproof. I have not listened to the voice of my teachers nor inclined my ear to my instructors. I was almost in utter ruin in the midst of the assembly and the congregation. Now, see, thankfully, this young man woke up. This young man had parents that warned him. And now he's able to draw upon that memory and uh, and repent. He said, I was almost in utter ruin in the midst of the assembly and the congregation. Anyway, drink water from your own well. This is the the blessings rejoicing in the wife of your youth. Yeah, this chapter is uh, pretty, uh, pretty blunt in training our children with respect to their own morality. His own iniquities will capture the wicked. He will be held with the cords of his sin. He will die for lack of instruction. The greatness of his folly, he will go astray. This is what happens when doctrine does not wake you up. So, consequences. Reach the end of your life and even beyond your life. Proverbs 5, verse 4 and 11. Proverbs 14, 12. There is a way which seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. And so here's the, uh, the idiom that we're talking about the achareh, right there, the end. And so we want to uh we want to constantly be listening to counsel and discipline. The end thereof is our blessing. And if we avoid that, then the end thereof is uh is the consequence to the end of our life and beyond. Proverbs 16:25 There is a way which seems right to a man, almost identical to chapter 14. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Its end is the way of death. Consequences can be lifelong. They can reach the end of your life. They can even go beyond the end of your life because you can carry that bitterness to Sheol and, uh, in the negative sense. And then the joy, of course, endures forever in the positive sense. The last verse we haven't seen here is Deuteronomy 32, 29 moses was warning them of this would that they were wise they would have understood this that they would discern their ahre the after of these things there's your ahre all right would that they were wise that they understood this that they would discern their their future okay but it's more than future because it's the rest of your days and beyond its the ever after, you know, when the when the uh, the, the story has a happily ever after ending, you know, to the end of his days. Um, Job uh, has his after his, the end of his days, you know, the latter end of his days when God blesses him with more children and more wealth to the end of his days and even beyond. Because physical death is not the end of our story and uh, Old Testament and New Testament alike. Uh, communicate that. Yeah, this is Deuteronomy 32 when he's, Moses is giving his farewell song and admonishing the nation that has to, uh, has to listen to God's wisdom. Yeah, it's a good song. All right. Um, Real quickly then, goodness, time flies. So we don't outgrow the need for counsel and discipline as Proverbs nineteen twenty tells us, and the consequences are eternal. The consequences will affect us ever after. They are ever after consequences that, uh, that bless us. Uh, you know, so if, if this is a child that, that's being trained in the word of God, the consequences will bless them uh, as a young adult. The consequences will bless them as a in, in their marriage. The consequences will bless them as when they become parents. The consequences will still bless them when they become grandparents. The consequences will still bless them when they become widowed. You know, the consequences will still bless them when they are, you know, aged and and ready to die to the very end of their days. When uh, when they're widowed, when uh, they've raised, when they've seen children, grandchildren, great grandchildren, the consequences keep blessing them, even when they depart physical life, the consequences, uh, the, this profit is profitable not only for this life, but also the life to come. The consequences will bless them at the judgment seat of Christ when they stand before the Lord and they receive their, their gold, silver and precious stones. When they receive their, uh, their eternal uh, blessings and uh, the responsibilities that are entrusted to them. As, uh, as fellow heirs, co-heirs with Jesus Christ, the heir of all things. So this is uh, this is critical. All right, we'll, we'll come back next week and we will look at verse twenty-one. Human beings have multiple plans with layered thoughts and intentions, but God's eternal purpose is what He actualizes. You know, we have plans, but multiple plans. God has His plan, <laughs> the plan, the plan of God. And his eternal purpose is what he actualizes. So we'll we'll talk next week about the plan of God. And uh, to illustrate, my plan was to uh, to to cover both 20 and 21 this week, and uh, we didn't quite get there. It took too much time dealing with Eli and and uh, and David. So uh, we'll have to save verse 21 for next week. So my plan failed. My plan uh, did not uh, uh, was not manifested. Was not actualized. It was just a potential plan and uh, God overruled. And God's plan calls for us to, to teach verse 21 next week. So that's what we'll do. Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for your truth. I thank you for the technology that lets us meet together, that lets us study to show ourselves approved. Even if we can't be in the same building, we can't be in the same church structure. We thank you that the church is not a building. The church is the, the people, the believers, the body of Christ. So I thank you, Father, and I praise you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.